I love um, to talk about some things, some things that I don't, um, but uh, the Word of God speaks to our hearts and minds in every situation, in every area of our life, and and so I, I get to speak on different things. Um, last week, um, we, we began, we launched what this year is about for us, and the... What this year is about is seeking the face of God. And and really, that's what it comes down to in our life. Seeking God's face, yearning, desiring to move into the presence of God. And guess what? We're going to do a lot of things in 2019, and we can accomplish a lot together as a church. And yet, if we do it on our own power, if we do it on our own motivations, other than glorifying God, we miss, we miss the blessings God has for us. So this morning I'm going to speak on a topic that may be a bit uncomfortable um, for some. Cue people running out of the seats, right? Cue, cue that. But the topic of money, specifically giving. If you're, if you're a guest this morning, I just want to say up front, we are certainly glad you're here. If you, if you haven't been to our, our Northwest Membership 101 class, we're, we certainly want you to attend. One of the things that we, we say at that class is that giving is, is for the members of the church here at Northwest as they provide the finances necessary for the work of the ministry. And so if you're, if you're a guest, I'm not really speaking to you this morning. I want you to understand the principles of giving in the scripture, but um, we're just certainly glad you're here. We hope you hear the gospel through giving. But I believe that the gospel is that which changes people's hearts. So I don't, I don't really speak on compelling people to give to the church I really speak on compelling people to live gospel-centered lives that glorify God. And yet an area of that is, in one's discipleship, is is giving financially. We see that even in the early church in Acts, giving as anyone had need in Acts chapter 2. We see that throughout the book of Acts since the, the, the church is, is commissioned to give. So I'm going to give this caveat this morning to anybody who's feeling uneasy about the pastor talking about money. So if you feel like the pastor just wants your money this morning, I want to put your mind at ease. If you've had a bad experience or feel like I'm just fundraising, I'd ask you to apply the giving principles that we're going to talk about from the Word of God elsewhere, not from Northwest. You see, our church is filled with people who are very committed to the mission and what we believe God is doing here, and I don't want your bad experience or your feelings to keep you from going down a path of discipleship in the area of generosity. So if you feel like I'm I'm trying to fundraise, please give somewhere else. I feel like God desires every area of our life. And finances are a large area. 
You see, Christ has given up his life. He lavished upon us the riches of the eternal glory with him. And our response to that as believers who have been set free from sin and death is to give in response to the gospel. That is the heart motivation. So this sermon I entitled, Proclaiming the Gospel Through Giving. And that's what we're going to be talking about is the heart motivation. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church here, he gives some specific instructions to them, and I think it's useful for us. So 2 Corinthians in the Pew Bible in front of you is page 968. And if you'll turn there with me, as you turn, would you stand for the reading of God's Word as the authority in our life? And we stand in honor of that 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's the promise of God. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we we do pray for your sufficiency for us. Father, we know that we are imperfect people that rest in your grace. As John said, Father, we do not have it all together. Father, in the area of finances, we do not have it all together. And yet you teach us these beautiful truths to give us a light and a guide to your path. And we ask that we would hear them As such, Father, a guide and a light to sufficiency to produce the good works in which you desire for your people to do, that we may receive the joy and the blessings of giving, Father, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And Lord, we just ask that this this morning your word would speak to us, that you would show us the way in this specific area, as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. By the way, I've, I've entitled this series, Treasuring God, kind of after seeking the face of God, Treasuring God. And we'll go through some of these principles. But I have a little secret for you, and I kind of want to just put it out there. As we begin this series, Jesus doesn't need your money. Do you think the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who caused the whole earth to flood, who raised up a people for himself, who took them out of the Egyptians, who came down from heaven to earth, who healed the blind, who raised the sick, who turned water into wine, who fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, who brought dead people back to life, who he himself died on a cross and resurrected from the dead three days later? Do you think that this God needs your money? He doesn't. 
In fact, when Jesus was supposed to pay a tax to Caesar, he had Peter go fishing and said he would find the money in the fish's mouth. So if God doesn't after your money, what is he after? He's after your heart. He wants your heart. So our, our desire at Northwest is to be a church that gives, not to try to fulfill a goal or somehow pay back God or feel as if we're giving a weekly or monthly tax to God we at Northwest want to be givers because our hearts overflow with the grace that God has given to us and all we can do is give back to him what he has already given to us in a heart of worship. Like we be a church that proclaims the gospel through our giving. The statistics are staggering on average... Um, Christians today in 2018, the statistics came out, 2.5% of their income to their churches in 2018, Christians give. During the Great Depression, a time where, where people, most people didn't have resources to even take care of their basic needs, the Great Depression they get, the Christians gave 3.3%. So 2.5 today, they gave more during the Great Depression than they did now. Throughout my many years of ministry here, I've, not just here, but everywhere, I've heard many people say, well, uh, um, there's, we have a lot of people on fixed income, uh, young families trying to raise families, difficult to give, but it's really not about how much we give. It's about our heart in giving. Luke chapter 21 verse 1 says this. Jesus looked up. He tells the story. He saw a rich man putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he says this. Truly I tell you this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Sacrificial giving. Gospel-centered giving. See, God's desire is for His people to give with the right heart motivation in honor and glory to Him. Not under compulsion. Not because we have to but because we want God to be glorified. You see, giving is an act of worship. It is a response to grace in our life. It is a response to the gospel. Verse 6 in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We understand this analogy Small seeds producing great fruit. Same is true in giving. You get what you put in. My, my wife likes a discount. She's up with the kids, so I can talk about her. No. Um, she likes discounting. She likes to coupon. She likes things like that. And, and I, I keep telling her sometimes that we can't skip on some things. 
We can't skip on these very important things in life like contact solution and chicken noodle soup and basketball shoes, right? You can't skip on those things. I mean, it's a no-go on off-brand contact solution unless I want to be rubbing my eyes throughout the whole service, right? Wondering, people wondering, what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you crying? No, it's just my wife bought the off-brand contact solution. I mean, who wants the off-brand chicken noodle soup, right? Besides Campbell's. I mean, you're really sick and you want this great soup that tastes good and and you get this off-brand stuff and you're like, what is this? There's no taste. And don't get me started on basketball shoes. If you want blisters all over your feet, that's fine. You can go with the off-brand stuff, but we know that the the good stuff, it looks really clean, that you can get, um, it fits your feet well and goes better in the long run. You get what you put in. I'm sure we understand this principle even in our life. When you practice, the better you're going to be in whatever you're doing, in the court or in, in musical instruments. The more that you work on being a better father, the greater opportunity you have to become a better father. The more t- time you spend in the Word of God, you're going to be able to know it and apply it to your life. You see, this principle, the more that you give to the kingdom of God, the greater the impact the kingdom has, the opportunity to impact people's lives. The more you give, the greater your investment, the more that we will see God do a work. In this passage, the reaping or harvesting here, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The harvesting is the blessings of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the sowing comes from the heart attitude. Verse 7 continues on in this section. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're going to stay here in this verse for a while. I didn't even get to verse 8 in my sermon notes because there's so much to unpack here. But our first point from this verse here is, is this. Giving should be from the heart. Giving should be from our heart. Most people say, that you should give a 10% tithe. This is an Old Testament concept of the law requiring 10%, but in actuality, they had multiple tithes in the Old Testament, one to the Levites, one for the use of the temple feast, and one to the poor. And this, guess what, was not just the 10%. It was actually 23.3% in the law, under the law. But never fear, we're not under the law, so you don't have to give 23.3%, right? But no longer are we under the law for the 10% either. Ever feel like your, your tithe is, is kind of like a tax unto God? Being taxed, oh, this is what I got to do. We got to write the check. Honey, we got to write the check this week, you know, for the tithe, you know. It's not, that's not how God has designed giving to be. It's a grace giving. We give because Christ is given to us. We are to give what God has laid upon our heart to give. 
We should, this doesn't mean that it, it shouldn't be systematic or planned out or prayed through. It means it certainly should. That we should ask the Lord what he wants us to give. But giving should be from the heart. The motivation, the desire, the will, the want to give. Okay, so here is some, 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 some wrong motivations for giving. And then I'm going to give some right motivations for giving. So wrong motivations for giving. I'm going to give you kind of a fire hose here, but I'm just going to give you a few. Number one, pride. It's a wrong motivation for giving. You want others to see your giving. Jesus says thus, whenever you do charitable giving, don't blow the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the street so that people will praise them. Number two, guilt. Shouldn't give because you, you feel guilty you have so much. Number three, greed. Some people take this scripture out of context, and we'll go through it as we go through this series, but they take the scripture out of context, give, and it will be given unto you. The, the motivation should not work as, as, as Jesus as a slot machine. You put in, you put in some money, and God's going to reward me with more money. Jesus is merely telling his, this principle that you're, if you're willing to share with others, they're more inclined to share with you. Number four, pressure. As it says in this verse, we should not be under compulsion. We should not be pressured to give. Number five, gimmicks. We've seen this even in the church, in the church history, in the Roman Catholic Church. You know, if you give this amount, we'll give you this prayer cloth or this thing. This is why I struggle with fundraising within the church. You're really not giving because you're receiving something in return. We have to do fundraisers and give people t-shirts or different things to, to help them to give. We, have a, we may have a problem. Something is wrong with our hearts. Why we're giving. Number six, power. Some people feel as if this is a, a, a power for them. They flex their muscles. They gain more control by giving more, threatening to take their money elsewhere. This is the wrong motivation for giving. Some right, right heart motivations. So I'm, I'm glad we move on to the right ones because those are kind of downers, right? And so we, we get to move to the good motivations for giving scripturally based motivations for giving. I give because God has given to me. This thought process is one that recognizes all of it is God's possessions. We are merely stewards of what God has given to us. Everything is his. Number two, I give because I want to glorify God with every area of my life. This is why I'm preaching these sermons a lot of times when I preach a sermon series or, or, or preaching in sermons, a lot of times the Lord is working on my heart. 
2 Corinthians 9.13 says, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. Number three, I give because I want to protect my heart. We'll talk about this passage later in this series, but Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Protection of your heart. It's a big deal. Number four, I give because I want God to be my master. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for he will, he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I give because I want God to be my master. Number five, I give because I want to lay up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Number six, I give because I want my life to be used by God. I want my life to be useful for his purposes. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, he who supplies Seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for growing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is the principle of the parable of the talents in which applies where someone who gives allows God to entrust them with more money so that they can give more. Number seven, I give because I want to grow. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You'll be enriched in every way. You'll be blessed in every way. Not only financially blessed, but the blessings of God. Number eight, I give because I have a compassion for people. Early church, they, they gave as those were in need within the local body. In Acts chapter two, there's so many needs and we cannot help everyone, but we show that we love people by helping people in times of trial in our small group and in our Sunday school class. Number nine, I give because it is worship unto God. Paul receives a gift from the Philippian church, and he says in Philippians 4.16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. It's, it's worship. The giving is worship. The fruit of giving. Worship. Another thing we learn from verse 6 is this. Giving should be planned. Giving should be planned. Giving should not only be from the heart, but it also should be planned. 
Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What he has decided in his heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. You see, when, when we think through our giving, we're actually asking God in prayer what we should give. You see, anything that of value has been thought through before you spend thousands of dollars taking your children to Disney World, you think through it. You plan out the number of days. You plan out the flight costs. You say, can we do this? Are we able to do this? Is this a good plan? What, what does our hotel and reservations look like? In the same way, giving ought to be planned. You don't just say, oh, today I feel, feel good, so I'll just throw an extra couple dollars in the plates. Remember, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. We want to help you that, through that and think through these things with your family throughout this series. Maybe you do sit down with your spouse. Maybe you do sit down with your family and go, okay, with your children even into the conversation and go, okay, what does the Lord want us to give? You see, Paul tells us that God has given to us, his church, the ministry of reconciliation. This is the ministry of bringing people into a right relationship with God. That is our sole purpose, winning hearts for Christ and having them know God and grow in that knowledge of the gospel and then send them out to go and tell the world of the good news. This is what the finances of the church are used for. And maybe we should think of that in our own budget, in our own thought processes. Are we using our resources that God has graciously given to us to the work that he has called us to do. He wants people who are serious about doing his work. I've been here long enough at Northwest to see there are many people in our church who give, who give graciously of their, their time, their resources, their talents, and they, they give over and abundantly, generously. And that's a beautiful thing. And God may be saying to you, I, I'm, I'm giving. And the Spirit may be confirming and, and increasing and encouraging you through this. And some of you may be going, I don't even know how, how to begin where to start in giving. And that's Okay. Each is in their own place and, and, and the Spirit is leading them and, and guiding them through that thought process in their heart and in their mind. But I'm just giving you the biblical principles. I want to I share with you something that's helped me in, in my understanding and my growth of generosity. It's called the generosity ladder. 
And before I talk to you about this, I want to remind you that if you're a guest, I'm not talking to you. And if you're offended by me talking about this, you think I'm trying to get your money, apply these principles in giving elsewhere, please. I'm serious. So on the generosity ladder, which is on the board, I don't know if you can even see that. It might be a little small, but there's steps or rungs in growth and generosity and sacrifice. This is not how you ascend to God. It's just to give you an idea of where you are in, in your growth process of generosity. The first rung is the initial giver. It is the first-time giver. Maybe a new member, someone who has just come to Christ. What a joy. Somebody we should celebrate as they, someone who's learning how to be a steward of God's money, who's learning the gospel for their lives, and they begin that process of giving. That's a huge step and should be rejoiced and celebrated, great that you are a first-time giver. I, I can kind of remember in college this, this thought process of giving and, and thinking to myself, okay, my parents have always given, and now it's kind of my turn to actually give, and what do I give, and how do I do that? It's a first-time giver. You're thinking through that process. The second is a consistent giver, someone who sets up their budget to be able to give a certain portion of their income to the church, such as you would your mortgage or your, your cable bill. This is a, a feast or famine. You give consistently what the Lord has told you to give in your heart. Some of us um, try and need to improve from an initial giver where we just begin our giving process to a consistent giver in our life. The next rung is an intentional giver. So you have a consistent giver, and then you have an intentional giver. This is someone who is constantly attempting to grow in the area of giving. They're looking at their bank statement and comparing how much they're giving to their other priorities in their life. Their vacations, their eating out, their cars, their clothing. I had someone on staff, and, and I'm, I'm probably in, in this, this area of my life. I'm just now looking at my giving and going, okay, what do you want from me, Lord? This is, this is an intentional giving. I had someone on our staff one time tell me that their commitment is to give their largest payment to the church, more than their mortgage, more than any other payment given in a singular month. Intentional givers are setting goals for giving and trying to grow in that. All right, so that's the third step. The fourth is a sacrificial giver. This is someone who no longer is thinking, what am I supposed to give? But rather, what am I not giving and why? The sacrificial giver is less concerned with the 10 to 15% and is now more concerned with the 85 to 90%. Rick Warren has made a lot of money on purpose-driven life and now gives 90% of his income. He's a reverse tither. The sacrificial giver makes changes to his life. They feel it. And guess what? Over and over again, they're blessed by God. Has your giving become routine? Has it begun comfortable? Maybe it's not about just money. Maybe it's about your work, your job, spending more time investing in people for the kingdom. 
I know our building and grounds team is a great example. They have given their time and their talents over and abundant to renew God's church in the area of our building and grounds. And we're thankful for that. I, I would say that's a sacrificial giving. Let me tell you, I've watched them. It's a sacrificial giving. The final rung is a legacy giver. This is someone who is concerned about their lifetime giving. They're thinking more about their internal investment portfolio than their retirement portfolio. They've started to think about their assets through the lens of which of these things in eternity will I consider wasted when I see Jesus? Which of these things will I regret having held on to? If you're young, you're planning how much I can give through my lifetime and planning in that direction. What's it going to take to give away a million dollars by the time that I'm 60? That's what these people are asking as legacy givers. Changes your motivation for work, doesn't it? Changes your heart concept about your work. If you're older, you're looking at your estate planning and seeing if it lines up with the kingdom principles. You're looking at retirement and thinking, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? What better legacy to leave your children than knowing that your heart and your money went to God's purposes first and then to them? We talked about last week, King David gives it all the way to the temple. Gives his full treasury, we think, and some commentators believe it was his full treasury, almost $5 billion. And guess what? Solomon becomes king, and he's about to build the temple. The Lord asks him, what, what do you want? He says, wisdom. The Lord says, I'll give it all back. You have all the money you would want. Where do you put your trust? I'm convinced that Christ died for me. It's no longer I who live for myself, but I'm now living for Christ. I want to challenge you to look and see where you are. Pray about moving up the next step and growing in the area of giving. Just remember, if, if this is really uncomfortable for you, please, please, give, give somewhere else. We want the right heart for giving. Initial, consistent, intentional, sacrificial legacy. And the last thing, God loves a cheerful giver. Giving should bring about joy, unending joy. See, the blessings of God are many, but one of the rewards of giving is joy that you know that you are doing the will of God in your life and that he is producing a joy because of the blessings that you are giving to someone else for his purposes, for his kingdom. There's a joy in placing the money in his hands and asking God to do a mighty work through it. Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've, um, 
I've seen this in my life, my parents and they're godly people came to Christ at a, in the middle of their life. And my dad was a corporate CEO of a company in New York City. We had a lot of money, a lot of money. I had a fireman's pole in my room in our house. No joke. We had a lot of money. And guess what? The Lord took it all away. <laughs> In 1996, when we had moved back to Oklahoma, my dad was driving a 1979 two-door Nissan pickup with one taillight. The other taillight was taped on. He had one door on that Nissan pickup that you could not open. We lost it all. How much joy is there in that? Moth and rust destroy. Thieves come in and break in and steal. It happens. I was a, I was a poor seminary student trying to play the stock market. I thought I was smart, you know, had a accounting background, thought I was going to do something. So I had Sand Ridge stock. You guys know Sand Ridge in Oklahoma City. And uh, it got up to $7. And uh, I called my financial advisor and I said, it's time to sell. We're going to make some money on this. And he said, no. It's just going to keep on going up. I said, okay, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He's in it every day. Guess what? We lost it all. It went to zero. I saw it go down and down. I was like, it's not even worth selling at this point. Went to zero. Lost it all. Poor seminary student. (laughs) Thinking to myself, man, how much more joy would have been to give that away? Thieves just break in and steal. Moth and rust destroy. I've come under the assumption that all I have is Christ and that giving helps me to remember that. It provides me an application to the reality that all authority has been given to Christ, that my life is now in Christ. It's not my own. I'm not perfect. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not a perfect giver. I struggle in areas of giving. And yet the Lord has challenged me through his word. If you read over and over, and we'll go over some of these passages together. He, man, he, he loves a cheerful giver. He, he does. And guess what? I, I want to delight in my God. Sign of a gospel-centered church is a giving church. They understand that Christ has sacrificed and given us life. And in turn, they mirror or reflect the image of God. They reflect the gospel in their own life through the way and the heart in which they give. So my prayer is that At Northwest, we would be a church with a heart after God. We would give, not because we're reluctant or under compulsion or trying to check it off a box or trying to reach 10%, but we would give because that's what God's design is for us. We delight in that, in our heart of hearts. We'll give us some tools these next few weeks to do that. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for 
your great grace and your great mercy in the gospel. And we just thank you for giving so much to us. You sent your son, Father, to die on the cross, to give up his life as a ransom for many. And Father, help us to respond to the great good news of your son and giving. Not just a one-time deal, just to, but Father, give us a heart to give continuously. It's not re- reluctant or under compulsion, but Father, that we choose to do that because we desire Father, Father, you, we treasure our God. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time that we spent in your word. We thank you for each and every person here this morning. We pray that um, if there are those that have not received Christ, that your spirit would speak to them and that they would realize that this life is more about you than them. They would humbly come to before your presence and Receive the gospel. Believe and trust and repent from their own ways and trust upon Christ. Father, we pray for those that are here in the church who have sat here for years and been a part of what God's doing here, that they would be renewed with the spirit of giving that comes through your Holy Spirit that you pour out upon your people that is not from us, Father, but is from you because of what Christ has done, that he may be glorified in and through your church.